Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of the Good Morning Liberty Podcast. My name is Nate, and with me, as always, is my buddy, Charlie. Today, we've got a very special episode. Joining us is Howard Gratton from the Honoring Ron Paul Podcast. Folks, we've all been influenced by Ron Paul, okay? I know, I know libertarians. I know he was technically a Republican for quite a long time, but he is, in fact, the guy that brought us to the Liberty Movement. Seeing him out there on those debate stages out there in 2008, 2012, completely changed my life. I think it changed Charlie's life, too. So it was truly an honor to have Howard on our show. We've been on his before. You can go back and listen to that episode. I think he said it was episode 10, so you can go listen to that episode from him. But it was a great honor to have him on here, someone who does a podcast that is dedicated to people whose lives were changed by Ron Paul. So without further ado, we'll bring in Howard. All right, what's up, everyone? We are here with Howard Gratton from the Honoring Ron Paul podcast, which we've been on before. It's an, an amazing podcast and, I mean, about an amazing person. I think we've all we've all been influenced by the great Dr. Paul. For he's, sure. no, he's no Justin Amash now. Uh, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> you know. He's no Justin Amash, but, I mean, that's okay. We'll We'll take him. We'll take him. Maybe someday, I, Justin. I'm kidding. Maybe. I do. I do. Ron Paul is still the godfather, obviously. Are, are you going to do an honoring Justin Amash podcast later on, you think, Howard? <laughs> uh, well, it all depends on uh, on how he, how he goes. Yeah. It, well, looks like, it looks like he joined the party. I was reading some yeah, stuff today. He? It looked like he actually joined the party, and then, you know, he's going to try to assume the nomination through a uh, exploratory committee process and doesn't mm-hmm. even know he's really going to get it. But if the Libertarian Party is worth their, if they're worth anything, they're, the, this, would be a, this would be yeah. a move in the right direction, hopefully. Uh, it, it would definitely be a good move for them. He's got a lot of notori- notoriety, I mean, and mostly positive, I would say, especially compared to Gary Johnson. So uh, I think this would definitely be a good move for them. I just, but, I just want to get all that Amash stuff out of the yeah. way real quick because I know all the Libertarians are freaking out about it. Of course, the hardcore ones are like, Oh my God, never. He's stepping on everybody. And then, uh, you know, of course, all the but people like me who are on the outside looking in saying, yeah. please do something like this so I can join you. So, uh, so Howard, tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do. Tell us about the podcast. Give us the, give us all the deets. Sure. Uh, my name is Howard Gratton and I'm um, a physician specializing in pain management and physical medicine and rehabilitation. And I came to the uh, libertarian positions and liberty loving type of a guy uh, back in uh, 2007 and eight uh, because of Ron Paul. And I recently uh, I've been thinking a lot about all the people who've had similar experiences and all the things that they've created. And so I started the honor and Ron Paul podcast um, and it's been going fairly well. You guys were on episode 10 and I just released episode 20, which is with a, someone from Sweden talking about COVID and their response. Uh, that one's more medically, uh, not so much Ron Pauly, but the guy is a Ron Paul fan. So I, 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 I considered it a, a allowable. <laughs> so what That's did, pretty cool. What did your guests from Sweden think about the differences between what they're doing and, and what we're doing? I mean, they've been having uh, decent I guess you'd call it success, but I guess heading, you know, their goal is kind of one personal responsibility and two, maybe herd immunity with this whole thing that's going on. 
Um, did he feel like they were going down the right path? Yeah. Um, it, it's pretty tough to argue with the numbers. I mean, they're right basically in line with everyone else. Some countries they're worse than, some countries they're better than. Um, but, you know, if you had believed the hype about how effective the lockdowns are going to be and what the dire consequences were going to be if you didn't have lockdowns, you would expect Sweden to be, you know, 10 times as many cases, 10 times as many deaths. And they're basically right there in the mix. Um, they're definitely better than the majority of Europe, and they're not quite as good as some of the, like Finland and Norway. Um, so uh, it was interesting because the epidemiologist of that country, you know, his, his main uh, point was that, well, you know, we don't have the laws that really allow us to have these lockdowns. And it was like, well, we don't have the laws that allow that either. We don't either. <laughs> hey, what a coincidence. <laughs> who, 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 who's this person bringing up this whole idea of laws? That's just that's just crazy talk. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's pretty weird that they didn't have that uh, system and the ability for their government to create the lockdown, like we said. I mean, I kind of feel like we didn't either. I guess they didn't. Maybe they don't have the mentality that they can just break whatever rules they've already set forward. I, I don't really know. But you said that you're you're a physician. Has this been affecting you a lot? Have Have you been, you know, less less work, more work, the same as usual? Uh, quite a bit less um, because uh, I'm in Oregon and uh, Governor Kate Brown shut down all non-emergent uh, medical care. Um, and so uh, for a while, I just twiddled my thumb since, you know, I, I do a lot of uh, pain treatments and injections and, and things like that. And so some of the injections were kind of allowed if they were be able to done in the office, but not in the surgery center. The the idea, I guess, that they had was that we wouldn't use up all of the masks uh, doing non-essential, quote-unquote, non-essential procedures. Um, but now it looks like, you know, uh, they didn't really have nearly as much shortage of masks as they thought. And, of course, I wear a mask every day just seeing patients. So it, there's like, I mean, I'm already burning through masks seeing patients and so what's the point of of uh you know not uh, using a mask for procedures it's you know i just wear one mask and last through the day and i don't cough on anyone wash my hands all that stuff and so it's just one of these random weird rules by fiat that uh, are thought to have good intentions and thought to be a good idea and they turn out to have negative consequences so a lot of people are really suffering because of pain you are saying that you were already trying to stay clean and sanitary when you were seeing patients beforehand it's it's a shocker but yeah what a crazy uh, idea weird i'm incentivized (laughs) not to hurt my patients yeah that's weird Uh, maybe you could teach a class or something on that since that's something that i guess no one was doing and now they're they're teaching that i hear in the new medical schools that are opening up trying to teach people how to be clean and sanitary from from what i can tell but i i mean this whole thing you know before when we talked beforehand this wasn't happening obviously none of this it's a completely different world now and unfortunately, I mean, you're a Ron Paul guy for sure, honoring Ron Paul podcast. And we've seen 
the government do things that I honestly I had feared for a long time, but I, I didn't really realize they would actually do them. And then we see our deficits going insane. And obviously we see the Fed going insane too. I mean, I I really, really wish that more people would have paid attention to what Ron Paul was saying. You know, maybe maybe your podcast can can help out with that. But I mean, what do you think about the state of what's happening as far as our liberties in the country right now? Well, it's really shocking. And um, I don't know how we're going to kind of peel this back if we are going to peel back all of these different uh, precedents that have been set as far as what people can do in an emergency, what the government can do in the emergency, and how willing people are going to be to go along with it out of fear. Uh, And this is kind of the ideal fear for a government to kind of build on because it's a fear of your friends and neighbors. It's a fear of of a virus which uh, can spread um, in an unseen way. And so everybody is just really freaked out. And of course, the government always takes opportunities uh, to expand. And now they have the ability to lock down. And the states have been very aggressive with lockdowns. And it's, uh, you know, who knows what the next uh, thing is going to be that requires a a huge concerted effort because of fear. Is it going to be global warming? Is it going to be another terrorist thing? Well, we already have this precedent that says all your rights go out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah I don't think we're going to get anything back. That's the, that's the that's the problem. And right. this is how um, this is how. What do you say? I guess like empires and dynasties build themselves up, and then eventually it gets to the point where there's no choice but to crumble. Well, it, and you've seen it throughout history several times. That's definitely what we're seeing, and and what I was thinking during that time is what we're seeing with with our liberties is we kind of, I wanted to say it in a different way, but say government power, they like to take about two steps forward and then maybe like a half step back, maybe not even a full half step back. And unfortunately right now it's like, man, I wish this massive libertarian movement would come forward to get us back to where we were three months ago. That'd be great. Yeah. You know, they, they keep taking more and more power and now it's like a smaller government looks like the government of 2019. And, right. and, and so how, how do we get back to the government of 1800 someday when we just keep getting bigger and bigger and now getting back to 2019 would look like a loose and completely non-existent government. So it's well, just, and it doesn't, it doesn't even appear to me though, if you look worldwide that more government control is the answer. If you look at places like Italy uh, and France and places where they had just as bad, if not worse um, scenarios than even places like Sweden or the United States, uh, especially with the mortality rate, um, more government control, especially over the healthcare system, didn't help them out any. And so right. um, I, th- I think I think the problem is one thing that really disturbed me as I saw everything happening and what we've been telling people to do on this podcast is just pay attention. What really disturbed me was a repeat of what happened in Russia and Germany and things like that, where neighbors started calling police on each other. Like, ah, these people are not they're not staying at home and. You know, like, I hope the National Guard shoots them and all this stuff. It's like, what in the world is just a repeat of, of what's been happening in history? Yeah, we've we definitely seen that happening for sure. Now, you being in the healthcare sector, for have you seen, you know, what I liked at the very first was that we saw them loosening some restrictions a little yes. bit. They took away a few. Now, could you speak on that a little bit? And do you think we're going to go towards a less 
government-involved healthcare system or or more a, a more regulated system after this? Did they and and to add on to that, did they temporarily suspend re- uh, regulations or was it an actual? Uh, get, did they get actually get rid of them? Yeah. Uh, there have been no. Uh, well, I, I don't know how permanent they are <clears throat> because a lot of the regulations. Excuse me. A lot of the regulations are uh, sort of created by these um, uh, non-elected officials. It's not like they're passing a law that sets all these regulations. It's just what the FDA in their meetings have decided are going to be new regulations. Uh, What are they? Um, And so um, I don't know about the internal workings of these uh, different bureaucracies and if they're making them permanent, but some of the things that have affected me as far as uh, peeling back on some of the regulations, you can now use uh, non uh, HIPAA and government approved ways of, of telecommunication for um, telehealth appointments, which was big. So now we can use Zoom. You don't have to pay you know, GE some $50,000 to have some type of, a, of an approved video conferencing type um, setup. So uh, that's been very helpful. So we can keep all of the oldsters at home and just uh, you know, kind of chat with them. And uh, they've loosened up some of the restrictions on the requirements of, of what you have to have in your note to bill a telehealth appointment um, through Medicare. And um, that's the main one. Uh, there were some restrictions that were lifted as far as the production of official medical N95 masks and the hospitals being able to use construction N95 masks. Um, I had chat about a little that on one of my podcasts. I don't remember which one, but I was just looking up and how these different 3M, you know, they have six different manufacturing lines going and only one of them has been certified by the FDA as able to make a mask. <clears throat> all the same, same machines, all the same staff. It's just, you know, one of them is certified and inspected by the FDA, but, you know, you could easily have a, a six-fold increase in mask, mask production. Uh, and masks are still considered a medical uh, a medical device. The N95 mask is still a medical device, and so it's still very difficult for a new manufacturer to uh, pop up and make a bunch of masks, uh, which has, has been a, a barrier, and they haven't um, pulled back on that. Um, but there hasn't you know, been any meaningful you know, elimination of like, oh, you can get... Um, uh, health insurance across state uh, borders. You can, uh, uh, you know, try different medications, uh, prescribe medications that haven't been FDA approved. Uh, I mean, there are some uh, states that do allow um, right to try, uh, but there, there's a fair amount of restrictions on that because you have to be actually uh, expected to die within six months. So how does coronavirus fit in there when it has pretty low mortality rate um, particularly for young people so it's like it's 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 tough to know what what do you think as far you just mentioned the mortality rate you know have you been following as a healthcare professional just how dangerous this actually is 
you know, have you have you seen some of the studies out of out of California showing that maybe 50 times more people have this than what we think? And of course, that would lower the mortality rate down right. to, you know, barely more than the flu or maybe twice as much as the flu. And and how does that make you feel about how dangerous this virus actually is? Should I be staying at home right now? That's what I want to know. That's the big question. You, you shouldn't. And let, oh, I don't know. I mean, do you have do you have diabetes? Do you have high blood pressure? No, I mean, no, I don't. No. Lung problems? No. Possibly high blood pressure. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely, you know, high blood pressure is <laughs> a very not, real possibility. May not be diagnosed yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'll um, get that later in life for sure. Yeah, uh, particularly, and that's one of the things that Sweden uh, did, and a lot of other places like Japan and South Korea. They, they didn't restrict it, young people's movements. They they went to protect the people that were uh, most likely to be affected by this. And um, even people who are, I don't remember the specific numbers, but even people who are, uh, you know, 60 to 75 and have uh, good health and have uh, no comorbidities, uh, they're very likely to come through this 99.5% um, of people come through this. Uh, and it's, uh, they, they're thinking that one of the reasons is, is how this uh, little virus gets into the cells. It um, is specifically on this receptor called ACE2. Um, and that receptor is very important in regulating people's um, oh, heart health, blood pressure, things like that. And so as this little virus is popping in through the cell, it's damaging that and then it changes a lot of the internal signals and it changes uh, a lot of this kind of homeostasis of the system. And so uh, then you're, you're, you're seeing a lot of, of the um, problems from blood clots and strokes and, and lung uh, scarring um, and, and problems like that. And so it, you have to, um, be old and you have to have medical problems for this to be um, getting up into the range of 10, 20% mortality. Um, but uh, the antibody studies are really interesting because it's not just the most profound one in Colorado, in, I'm sorry, in um, California that had you know, estimated at 50 to 80 times greater. There was some, uh, questionable things that people have pushed back on on that study and how they kind of determine the, the the likelihood of it being in the population that may have inflated those numbers. But there's been multiple other studies um, of uh, women coming in to deliver babies. They did some screenings on them. Uh, there's some over in Germany. Uh, there's been multiple ones kind of all around the world and all these antibody studies on average-ish, it's 20 to 30 times the current um, uh, documented cases. So that, of course, is going to dramatically decrease the, the fatality. So one of the questions that they're now kind of looking at is you know, how accurate is this antibody test? Because that's another thing that could screw this up because uh, all of these tests are very new. And so if there's some other kind of coronavirus that kind of whipped through here and about, you know, I don't know, a quarter of your common cold is some type of a coronavirus. And so if there happened to be 
some kind of a coronavirus that looked a little bit like uh, this COVID-19. Like something with a similar sequence. Yeah, something with a similar little surface protein that your body reacted to, and that's what they're testing. You know, maybe you're just getting, you know, the people who had COVID and the people who had a cold. So, um, uh, and it's, it's tough to know because they don't do a whole lot of research in characterizing all these random colds that don't kill anybody. Um, so that's one of the things that there's been some pushback on the good news. But in general, I see a lot of this as quite good news, um, particularly how the, uh, the curves have been flattening. Everybody's talking about the curves flattening. And the curves have been flattening much sooner than anybody had expected. And even in states that have been very lax, um, and even though everybody's been talking about how nobody is, is following these guidelines, everybody's, you know, being crazy and going to the grocery store, nobody's wearing masks. And so in, in one hand, everybody's saying nobody's social distancing and it's going to be horrible. And the other hand, they're saying because of social distancing, this uh, virus isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you got to pick one of the two. That's yeah. what I find. That's what I find most interesting about these things. You know, every article we found uh, over the last week or so on these studies based out of California and what's happening worldwide, like you said, the media is 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 putting in there every other paragraph that, um, you know, take caution with these studies. But what's what blows my mind is they don't do the same thing when they do the massive hysteria right. prediction articles. You know, right. one to two million people will die. Take this as science. This model's correct. This is unbelievable. But these show other studies where uh, it may not be as bad as we think, uh, but we don't know for sure. So take caution with this study. It's, it's just very interesting how to do that. I want yeah. to circle back what you were saying earlier because you were talking about, I'm being sarcastic here, you were talking about all the wonderful regulations on our free market healthcare system. <laughs> just explaining <laughs> how free how free our uh, our system actually is. It's interesting you were talking about how the N95 masks, and that's one thing we were talking about because you know, we have a buddy of ours that was building a house and he had like several cases of construction in 95 masks. And then, then you mm-hmm. had the CDC come out and said, oh, just use a T-shirt or a bandana. That's fine. <laughs> you know, right. never mind all the rules and regulations we put in, you know, to begin with to make it that much more difficult for people to come to market with products that you could use in an actual free system where people would have the choice to say, OK, this material and these products are just as viable and as good as a surgical and I'm sorry, as a medical in 95, like we can use those too. I find that interesting because my, my girlfriend's an ER nurse and she also used to do some Botox injections on the side. And, um, she, she's out of that now, but she's, she's thinking about going back in. But anyway, uh, you know, where they make Botox in Ireland, uh, there's, it's the same exact product, but there's two lines and one product, uh, somebody from the FDA sits there and watches the line and the other one, they don't. <laughs> and the rest of the world gets to use, you know, the $100 Botox on the right side. Right. And then the other one's $400. It's like literally a, a 300, 400% increase in price just because somebody from the FDA has to sit there and watch that line. And this is yeah, the same it's product. Really, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, uh, you know, people are always like, why is it so much more expensive in the U.S.? And, you know, I was... Um, so there, I do some reviews and things like that on the sides. And, um, you know, there was, uh, uh, some, there's oftentimes some situations that'll pop up where somebody's is injecting or recommending 
medications that come from Canada or something like that. And, you know, my libertarian side of things is like, okay, whatever. I mean, I don't, I don't care. I mean, if this person lied to the patient and said it was FDA approved for the U S then that's an issue. But if it's just some doctor saying, Hey, go get this stuff cheap in Canada, then that's fine. And uh, it's always, it's always interesting. Obviously if there's some fraud and and the doctors intentionally charging this patient for FDA approved stuff and injecting the cheap stuff, you know, that's obviously a violation of, uh, you know, all, all sorts of patient trust. Um, and ethics and ethics and, you know, contract and, and all sorts of things. But, um, it, but yeah, it, it is kind of ridiculous because it, they are seen as very different products. You know, you can have something that's used worldwide and, but, you know, somehow magically the U S has to have its own special stuff that's approved by the FDA. And, you know, anytime you add bureaucracy, there's always going to be a significant price increase. It's all for your safety. You know, yeah. That's why. That's why they send soldiers around <laughs> National Guard. It's for, it's for your safety. Yeah. I'm always reminded of you know I, I talk about this all the time, but the the Patrick Henry speech, the "Give me liberty or give me death," which obviously that's the most famous line, but that whole entire speech is absolutely incredible. And he talks about he's like, if if the Britons were really about love, like if they were about showing their love to us as you know the American colonies. Why do they send soldiers? You know, why do they line our shores with ships? This can only mean one thing is war. And so you, you know, you look at like the government protecting you talking about, I know we didn't go full scale martial law, but I know some states were talking about implementing the national guard and, and making sure people stay at home and all this stuff. It's like, is that really about your protection? Or like, what does that actually mean? You know, we've already seen a militarization of the police. We were talking about Waco yesterday and the day before and how that whole, you know, militarized ATF and FBI situation turned out with 25 children being burned alive and all that stuff. It's uh-huh. like, what, what is the actual goal here? It, it's uh-huh. just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's so frustrating um, that the government is so good at, pl- at playing off people's fears. Um, so I find that really, really frustrating. You know, speaking of uh, Ron Paul, I wanted to ask you about his son, Rand Paul. Mm-hmm. Uh, who had what he had half a lung or does he only have one lung or he, he has had, one he and a, a half? He had a partial lung. Partial removed. lung. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But he, he had ended, a, a lobe taken out. Yeah. Okay. Right. And so he ended up contracting it, but then also recovering. Uh, it seemed like a pretty quick recovery. Do you think um, it was a false positive possibly, or do you think he, he really had it and, and recovered that quickly, even though he, he had some ailments. I know he's in pretty good health otherwise. Um. You know, it's it's one of those things that it's it's tough to know. I would have to imagine that they tested him a couple of times just to make sure it wasn't a false positive. Yeah. Um, but he was one of these people that was asymptomatic, and just like what a, a lot of the um, studies are showing, that there's a huge population that's sitting around, and and they were completely asymptomatic, and and it's you know probably going to turn out that there's something physiologic about certain people, and and um, that's why these models were so dramatically wrong where either something about the ACE receptor and some people make it. So they're just not, the virus isn't no big deal or um, you know, some people have correlated vitamin D levels with um, the severity of the symptoms or whether it is, you know, you have to have a problem within this system of homeostasis called the renin angiotensin system. There has to be a problem 
in that system. And then this exacerbates that problem. But if you don't have that original problem, then this is no big deal. So uh, he's young, healthy guy, probably just came in, went out, maybe he had a cough, maybe he didn't, maybe he lost his uh, sense of smell and taste, maybe he didn't, I don't know. Um, I think the biggest but, problem is that we don't have enough people drinking bleach. I, th I think that's that's <laughs> really been the biggest issue so far. And that's an easy fix, honestly. I mean, you can buy it pretty cheap in a big bottle. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. So that if we could maybe that's why all the kids weren't actually getting they're the ones that ate tide pods they're probably immune from this yeah the tide pod immunity yeah uh generation yeah <laughs> we've got this you know i was thinking it's you know it's obviously not dangerous to to uh, i don't know he he said that thing about the bleach or the lysol or whatever and i was like oh come on that's a joke and i'm like oh, i don't know this generation did eat tide pods so <laughs> maybe maybe this is really dangerous Something like that. I saw that, you know, they're talking about UV rays being really good for it also. So, uh -huh. you know, maybe, maybe uh, if you just get out, get in the sun, you know, or get in your tanning bed, then maybe that's going to be the biggest cure for it. That's actually what he said. <laughs> he just suggests to go outside. He's like, I'm going to go outside. Because <laughs> yeah. I was watching that press conference when he said those words. And I did, um, I did a face plant because I was like, oh, God, I just, the stories <laughs> are going to come out any, any time. And within 30 minutes, they were out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so don't don't drink Lysol, don't drink bleach. Yeah, <laughs> just as a medical advice. Okay. But you heard um, it here first, folks. Yeah, yeah. I'm going against the president, not my president. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it is really interesting because the the sunlight uh, can you know, potentially directly kill the virus, uh, and also the vitamin D levels I mentioned have been uh, strongly associated with uh, good outcomes. I wonder if that's uh, whether, associated with sunlight. Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Uh, I should I should have made that uh, connection. <laughs> oh, your your body makes vitamin D as the more that you're exposed to the sun. Uh, so I mean, it can be correlation because old people don't have a whole lot of vitamin D, and old people get this. So so they may just kind of be coexisting issues. Um, but you know, there there have been historically treatments of UV using. Uh, UV irradiation to filter people's bloods of bacteria and viruses. Um, and that was kind of coming on board, you know, when, um, but then it was eclipsed by uh, penicillin. Uh, but, you know, using UV, you walk into a hospital and oftentimes if, if you, you'll look up, you'll see these little tiny lights that are pointed up toward the ceiling. Those are UV lights that are always on to try to uh, clean the air somewhat. And so it's been well known. Uh, and even there is uh, a product that uh, you run down a little scope and in, in somebody into somebody's lungs, kind of shining UV light, trying to uh, kill off any bacteria um, or viruses. Problem with UV light though, is that it can cause cancer. And so um, that's always a bummer. Yeah, <laughs> I hate it when that happens. That that's the thing, you know. It seems like there's always trade-offs in, in any kind of way. I think that's something that people don't people really don't realize. Spe speaking of the trade-offs, I mean, uh, what about the the economic impacts and and the impacts of the society as a whole when you when you create this massive economic meltdown that we've created? I mean. It, do you see a lot of other things potentially popping up? We've been talking about how the, you know, as the economy gets worse and worse, as people have always pointed out, 
that's really bad for people who are poor, who are in poverty, or people who lost their jobs and everything. And I've been really worried this whole time that we could we could end up causing more deaths than what we're actually saving right now. Is that oh, I think is that well, something the, you think the, is a possibility? And the viable studies on the economic side of this suggest that for every uh, one million for every one million people that get added to unemployment, the um, the average deaths from that is about forty thousand. So, um, of course, we're approaching, and we did the numbers like cutting it in half. Like, okay, we're approaching, you know, over twenty five million. Could be possibly by the time this is all over, thirty million people unemployed. I mean, you cut that in half. Let's just do ten million people if it stays that way. You're looking at, you know, four hundred thousand deaths just from the economic crisis. Yeah, and one of the things about economic crises is the the effects are forward going, right? You you have no other uh, pathway where you're like, oh, this this pathway you can see all of the advances in medicine, all the advances in the economics, all the the improvements in people's standard of uh, standard of of living uh, going forever. Because you know, once you you know whack off that tree at the knees you know, it's always going to have stunted growth. And so same thing with an economy, you, you have no idea what you're missing out. I think last time you guys were on my podcast, you mentioned, you know, what kind of a world would we live in if a hundred trillion, hundred trillion dollars hadn't have been taken out of the economy through taxation. And that's the same thing. What would the economy be 20, 30 years from now, had we not had this recession, how many uh, people are going to be affected? And I think it's to me right now, it's just based on my knowledge of medicine and economics, uh, which I don't know, they're both probably limited. Uh, so take it with a grain of salt. But I think it's fairly obvious. I wouldn't say it's a possibility. I think it's going to be fairly obvious that we're going to have more deaths from the economic contraction worldwide than we are than we would have from the coronavirus without these lockdowns. Particularly when you take into account countries like uh, Japan, South Korea, um, Singapore. Uh, and uh, Sweden, where they had very few lockdowns, particularly when you evaluate some states in the U.S. that had less lockdowns than others. Statistically, there's it's it's a wash, and some of the non-lockdown places are doing much better than others. So I don't see any good evidence that the lockdowns were that dramatically effective to save lives, um, whereas the economic destruction uh, is just starting to unfold. I don't think people really realize how bad this is likely to get um, because things are, you know, a couple things are off the shelf and that's because people are hoarding. Well, the, the Fed just is injecting what, $6 trillion. And mm -hmm. that's going to have more, a significant, more and more so far. Yeah. So far. And that's going to have a significant localized inflationary uh, component. So you, you have no idea where that money is going to flow to, but some products are going to be much more expensive relative to others. And you can have others that are going to have significant deflationary pressures. And that's going to cause you know, this real mess up in the whole structure of production. And uh, that's going to have ripple effects. And, and, you know, when you look at things worldwide and you say, okay, in the U S we spend about 10% of our income on average on food. All right. So, you know, the price doubles, price triples of food. All right. Well, that's 20, 30%. Ugh, that sucks, man. I wish I could have, you know, a nice quality burger instead of these beans I cooked up. Well, you know, what about Africa, Southeast Asia? What, what about all these places where their uh, food budget is 50, 75%? 
So what happens to them when the price of food doubles because of this whole catastrophe where everybody just stopped working? Well, they're going to starve to death. And there have already been some studies in, oh, I think it was Reuters, uh, uh, some articles talking about how hundreds of millions of people are going to be uh, on the brink of starvation because of the economic shutdown. So yeah, we, we covered that not that long ago. We talked about it. It was about 130 million people they projected would, would be added to uh, world hunger, basically. And roughly around 25% of that number dies from starvation every single year. Uh, so we were, you know, we were just speculating, obviously, because we have no idea what's actually going to happen. If the statistics were to hold true, you could end up having 20, 30, 40 million people die from starvation because of the economic collapse that's been caused by this. And that's obviously mm. going to be more dangerous than, than the virus itself. Right. And the United States feeds the world. Um, you know, I'm a Iowa boy. And so, uh, you know, I know, I mean, you see these huge fields of, of corn and all the hogs and, and uh, uh, chicken processing plants and all this stuff. I mean, that food, as it enters the market suppresses the prices because there's so much food that's produced. And so all these other countries are receiving you know, much less expensive food uh, because of uh, this uh, dramatic food basket that the United States has through the Midwest. So, you know, uh, there's already been a, a lot of, of um, meat packing plants that have been shut down a, a lot of, you know, products that are just uh, left in the field to rot because uh, that whole supply chain is screwed up. People don't realize how delicate this supply chain is. They're just looking at their own lives and like, well, you know, I can, you know, my job really isn't all that important that, you know, X, Y, or Z, I'm not essential. Well, who knows what's essential for someone else in some other country? Who knows? what that little bump up in price, how that's going to uh, affect people. Uh, I guess just for my own life, an, an example, I, you know, I've done some medical missions and whatnot. And so I, I did this medical mission. Oh, coincidentally, every country I've done medical missions in has always had socialized healthcare. So mm. huh. it's weird. Yeah. Um, so all these people that I was uh, treating for free had the, the option of, of going to the government hospital where they would be quote unquote treated for free. Of course, if they didn't bribe the doctor, then they weren't going to get treatment. Yeah. I've uh, been to Cuba and I've seen their hospitals there. That's, yeah. That's the place I'm going for my heart surgery, probably. Mm. <laughs> but, Just not North Korea. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, so there was this, um, uh, clinic in school that was revitalized, um, uh, through the dream machine foundation, great organization. If people want to donate green, uh, dream dream machine foundation anyway um this school uh was in dire straits because they used to have this farm that helped them to fund everything but the tractor broke they weren't able to pay for that one little part and then it was just a, a cascade downhill so that that buffer that a lot of these poor countries have that you know oh if just this one little part breaks in this little tractor, all of a sudden it's this downward cycle that people don't really appreciate how hard it is to live with essentially no cushion. And this economic collapse just, you know, popped everybody's airbag and it's, it's going to be horrible. Well, and the thing about it is right now, especially in the United States, 
a lot of people don't seem too worried about it because they have, you know, they've given out extra unemployment and the stimulus and everything to hold people over for like a couple months. It's like, well, what happens right. when August or September rolls around and your furlough turns into unemployment, <laughs> you know, and like, yeah, you're getting unemployment and, and an extra 600 bucks right now. I have a friend of mine who got furloughed. Uh, he works for Nissan. Nissan has a huge plant here in um, actually where I live in Smyrna. And they employ like ten or 15,000 people there. And, and almost everyone at the plant's furloughed right now. And they're getting unemployment. Uh, plus, they're getting the extra 600 bucks a week. And even my buddy said <clears throat> he's making like a little bit more. Um, he's he's I think he's a manager, so he makes decent money. But he's actually still making a little bit more than what he was before because he's getting that extra 600 bucks a week. And it's like, okay, that lasts for, I can't remember in the CARES Act, it was two months or three months you get that extra 600 bucks a week, something like that. It's, it's like, okay, so what happens when that changes? It's April, May, June. And, you know, when July rolls around, all we've done is stave off, uh, you know, the collapse a little bit further. <laughs> You know, the, the we'll prices just have another bill, Charlie, it'll be fine. We yeah. can pay out unemployment without taking any income to the government as yeah. long as the Federal Reserve exists. You know, no, yeah, no we'll problem have, at all. We'll have four or ten more CARES Acts. Yeah. Yeah. All voice votes. I can't wait for the big one, by the way, that's just going to be held over the held over the election. It's going to have like right now what they'll do is they'll put out things that aren't going to do much until then. And then it's going to get worse and worse and worse. And then there'll be this massive one that's just going to save everything is what is what they'll say. And it'll be determined by who wins the elections in November. I, just watch for that timeline to plan out for things to be allowed to continue to get worse and worse and worse. Yeah. And then they're going to have this big bill that's got guaranteed uh, just... I don't know. Everyone's going to live forever if this bill passed and we'll have that and it'll be for a vote, you know, a little bit after well, the elections. And I wanted to say, you know, the Fed is at about six trillion right now. But don't forget, before all this happened, if you guys remember in, in January and February, we started talking about it. The Fed, you know, injected a uh, um, what they opened up 500 billion and then another mm -hmm. like 200 billion. And they ended up. Uh, opening in the, repo, uh, markets, in the yeah. repo markets. Yes. So in the overnight, in the repo markets, the shadow markets, whatever you want to call them, <laughs> they injected a little over a trillion, almost 2 trillion. So they're, they're probably running, you know, seven to 8 trillion already. You know, what's that, that we know about what's, what's another, what's another 20 just add, just go ahead and double the debt. Yeah, sure. Just add another 20 right now. Yeah. And before the Oh seven collapse, I mean, I think uh, you'll have to check this up, but I think their balance sheet was like, I don't know, 300, 400 million or billion. I mean, and so I mean, just from the 07 collapse till now, it was dramatically increased. And then they tried to pare that back. Uh, and that's what kind of hit the markets in January and February. They, they just, um, they couldn't peel back all of that um, balance sheet that they had, developed without I think over that time they increased it somewhere between to two and four trillion there's like 3.7 the yeah. highest it was in 2009 or 2010 was 3.7 trillion which is unbelievable and uh, that's just going to seem like a balanced budget to what we're going to have five years from now I bet and what's amazing <laughs> is is it's actually illegal for the Federal Reserve to hold uh you know government debt I don't know if you guys knew that or not but that's actually illegal but there's nothing stopping them from like Bank of America purchasing treasury securities and then the Fed purchasing them from Bank of America. Yeah. So they still hold government debt. They're not allowed to directly do it, but it's just all these loopholes. And like, oh, 
What a great idea the Federal Reserve was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then, yeah, all that, all that inflation is going to uh, pop up in the markets in some way. And I think that's a kind of a fundamental difference between um, people who look at the economy in kind of a Keynesian way versus the Austrian perspective, because people in the Austrian perspective are much more interested in kind of the structure of production. How are things created that are then traded? And Keynesians are much more interested in just kind of the, the, the money. Does, do people have enough money? But you know, if, if the products aren't backing that money, if, if things aren't being produced and people are receiving money, those products will become more expensive relative to, to what they would have been otherwise. And that's always tricky when you're in a deflationary environment. Oh, so inflation is zero. Well, you know, what, what would it have been? I mean, if, if you look at computers, you know, that's a huge deflationary environment computer I'm sitting at right now would have cost, I don't know, $50,000 if I, you know, purchased this power of, of a powerful of a machine 10 years ago. So yeah, there's always these deflationary uh, pressures on the uh, prices just as things are produced more efficiently. And that's all good. We want things cheaper. We want housing cheaper. Everybody talks about cheaper housing. You can build a house for $10,000. Yeah, it won't pass code, but you can certainly <laughs> do it. Yeah. And it'll probably be, you know, much better than living in the street. But uh, yeah, all of these um, uh, things are, are going to really impact people's ability to pay for things. And that $600 a week is going to look like chump change once, um, well, I, sh- I shouldn't be as certain about that. It, it's going to look, uh, it's not going to be nearly as effective uh, of money had we just allowed the market to correct itself. Well, because money needs to have value behind it, just like what you were talking about. People don't, I, one, I don't think they really understand how money is created where it has value behind it. Like if you create something that people deem valuable, you could be creating new money potentially, but that's just really out of value for the product. Or if you just print it, uh, then that's completely different. And that kind of reminds me of what I would say about a about a UBI or something like that. You're saying the $600 is just going to be nothing eventually. And that really is the case, even if you were to take an Andrew Yang kind of approach and give everyone 1000 eventually 1000 will be the same as zero in the same way that at one point in time, the minimum wage being $7.25 an hour was was amazing and that would be a great wage and now it's not really anything at all because all the, price, all the prices yeah. have have risen and so it's the same thing if you were to give everyone the same amount of money all the time that number becomes zero for everyone now now everyone's got that same amount and and the whole thing has been has been lifted up at that mm-hmm. time and now you're going to need to give everyone 1200 a week or or 2000 a week and that's just going to keep going up and up the more you put money out there into the into the market that doesn't have any actual value behind it what would you say the the you know you know trump talks about us being up against the invisible enemy with with covid-19 right and we're talking about the other invisible enemy which the other invisible enemy which is the economic crisis uh, that's going to be occurring so what would you say what's what's our liberty answer for people to try and get people to see, you know, we can, they can see the invisible enemy of a virus because the loved ones are dying and, you know, Italy ran out of ventilators and there was this whole media crisis and everybody, uh, you know, is, is staying at home and they have all these implement, uh, 
um, implementations of these stay at home home orders and all this stuff. How do how do we get how does how does the liberty liberty movement message uh, to the people when we when this economic fallout happens? How do we get the same story across that this invisible enemy is also an enemy? It's like you know only a few of us know about it. How do we get everybody else to know about it? It's the unseen. We're always fighting the unseen, right. all the time. What would you say, man? Yeah, yes. yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> Howard, my bad. <laughs> Not you, Charlie. Charlie just talked. Uh, well, it is very difficult because, you know, a lot of, um, I think a lot of government is kind of filling that little uh, empty space in people's lives of a sense of security. And I think that's uh, fairly obvious to be a, a false sense of security. And so, um, people have to recognize their own personal responsibility, which is something nobody ever really seems to want to do. But you are responsible for not going to uh, cough on your grandma and grandpa, you know, separating yourself um, uh, from people, wearing a mask if it's appropriate. You know, all of these things are good common sense things. And, and the majority of people would do that. And some people won't. Some people won't do that, even if the government tells them it's, uh, to do that. So this uh, kind of idea that the government is going to help you is very comforting to a lot of people, and they can't really see beyond that. And so uh, liberty definitely has uh, quite an uphill battle. Um, but if you look at kind of the, the raw uh, information um, at the base of it, you know, the places that have been free uh, have been doing as well or better than the places that have been locked down. Um, the more free the economy, the more resources you have, uh, the fewer regulations, the quicker you can build uh, masks and ventilators, the quicker you can get medications to market, just like this new um, medication from, from uh, Gilead Oh man, like remdesivir mm-hmm. it is showing uh, quite a bit of uh, promise. There's, um, and so why can't people take that except if they're in one of the studies? Well, it's government rules. Um, yeah, there's uh, another medication that's only approved over in, uh, uh, in Russia that's showing some promise. Um, and so it, it's, it's very difficult uh, to sell that bitter pill of uh, you're not safe, the government can't make you safe, uh, and uh, if they do try to make you safe, they're going to cause more unintended harm than they ever solved. And so it, it, it is liberty in some ways uh, can be seen as a uh, kind of a pessimistic view um, of uh, collective government action, but it can also be seen as a very <clears throat> inspiring view of, of what humans can do and can create on a solely voluntary, disorganized, or I should say self-organized kind of a way where we're able to accomplish just absolutely amazing things all through this delicate balance of the market and, and profit seeking. Um, and everyone can improve and uh, get better. This isn't a zero-sum game. 
Uh, there's always going to be challenges as viruses now, uh, or you know, tsunamis, or or uh, you know, asteroids whacking into Earth. I mean, who knows what the next challenge is going to be? All that we can say is, uh, richer and better prepared people are going to handle that much better, and particularly if they have a sense of this is something that I need to take care of. This is something that I need to make a difference on. And you making a difference is not voting for someone that says they're going to make a difference. You making a difference is getting involved in your community, getting involved with your family, maintaining those social interactions and, uh, you know, um, bringing products out that make people better. It starts at the grassroots. That's what we always say. And I feel like that's a really good, really good note to end on. It's all about personal responsibility and you you taking control and not waiting on other people to fix the problem that you actually, you, you helping you, you know, and then you can help other people. Uh, once you fix yourself and you fix your foundation, you can help other people and the entire society is going to be better for it and you're going to be better for it. And I think that's the best way to go. Can Can you tell me where I just everyone? wanted I wanted to say real quick before we end here that I've been preparing for an asteroid since Armageddon came out in '93. He's ready. Yeah, yeah. Now, what did you do that. to prepare for that? Like, just in my mind, I've just been thinking oh, about okay. it. Yeah, like mentally yeah. prepared. I watched the movie the other night just in preparation. That's a real, very um, real possibility. You know <laughs> that, that we could do all this about coronavirus and then we could just get hit by an asteroid next year. You know, there's just <laughs> right. you never really know. And he said, you know, you're you're not safe. You really aren't safe. I think one of the things we have to do here is a little bit of acceptance in the fact that we're not safe all the time. There are viruses that are always, always trying to kill you. Coronavirus is going to be around probably for the rest of our lives. COVID-19 will be around for the rest of our lives. More than likely we've known about the flu for a really long time and we still have tens of thousands of people that die from it every single year. And this COVID-19 or whatever it ends up officially being called later on down the road is probably going to be a cause of death for human beings for the rest of our life. And I think people are going to have to come to an acceptance on that. I don't think we're just going to eradicate. I would assume that we could have done something about the flu more than likely if we were just going to eradicate this virus and it was going to be gone. So my assumption is we need to get better in personal responsibility for ourselves. Look, and you're taking care of that right now. Your chances of death in this life are still a hundred percent. That's <laughs> we that's haven't true. solved death yet. So. We've got a hundred percent mortality rate on <laughs> yeah. a long enough time horizon right. for sure. So, so do tell me where all of your, uh, you know, social media, how do people find the podcast? Let it, let them know what all the websites are. Yeah. The, uh, www.honorandronpaul.com. Um, and then facebook.com slash honor and Ron Paul. Uh, maybe it's on a Ron Paul podcast, but if you just search for honor and Ron Paul, it'll, it'll pop up there. And I think I have a Twitter. Uh, <laughs> Let me see. I, Let me see. You know, if I, have I, one. I, 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 I do know I have something and I'm pretty sure it's honor and Ron Paul. Uh, you know, I, I just, uh, just a little too old to do the Twitters and the Instagrams. I just kind of miss, miss that little bump. Uh, five years younger, and I'd be all over that. So you have a, have a do you have a mailing address or something like that that people can send requests to or something? Like that? A home maybe, phone, maybe a home phone to call. Can you give us your home phone number? I, I have a landline. Like no, no. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah, um, <clears throat> I actually do have an email. Uh, email uh, support at honor and Ron Paul if you want to. Uh, and I'm always looking for guests uh, to come on. If you've got a great Ron Paul story, I'd love to hear it. You created a product. Always looking for guests. Uh, 
once a week as the podcast goes out and usually on Monday mornings. Nice. Awesome. Well, dude, thank you so much for, for being here today and uh, thanks for doing this interview. I'm going to, I will send it over to you here, here in just a little bit. So, so you'll have it and we'll be putting it up on our podcast today. So once again, everyone needs to go and look for the honoring Ron Paul podcast. We were all influenced by Ron Paul. Okay. You might as well listen to a podcast called honoring Ron Paul, you know, just, just live your principles. Honor, yeah, we, honor him. <laughs> okay. All right. Howard, thank you so much. As an individual, you must obey him. Yes. Right. <laughs> obey the Paul. Okay. All right, man. Thank you so much. You have a good day. Thanks, man. Right, take care. Take care. Thanks so much for listening today, guys. As we always tell you, we need you to subscribe to this podcast. It's all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to, which is pretty much every single day of the week. So go to your favorite podcast app and hit that subscribe button. Tell a friend, tell your crazy communist uncle he needs to hear some of this information, and you guys know it. If you guys want to chat live with us, go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty. That is where you can actually take some action on the liberty movement because we are always running advertisements about the healthcare system, about the Second Amendment, about liberty in general. So if you guys want to actually take action on all of your beliefs, you can go to patreon.com slash goodmorningliberty and interact with us on the live show every single day. And if you do every single one of those things, don't leave out one of them. Leave a rating and review. That's another one. You can't leave that one out either. Then we'll be right back here again tomorrow. Until then, have a good day and a good morning, Liberty. Liberty.